Hey, this is Bob and the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. I forgot ah. about the treatment. I forgot about the getting the right treatment for you. You need to get the right treatment if you're almost dying of drugs. That's a integral oh. part of the show that we've forgotten i just listened to the intro yeah you've become a metaphor chuck you've just become a metaphor for all junkies uh hey i never thought i'd be a metaphor but i like it the idea of detoxing safely and with uh, medical supervision is not a new one that goes back like 80 years 90 years so it is well, they used to do it by the way in mental hospitals where i worked um there's a song by Charlie Parker called Chillin'. Are you Chillin sure you work there, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> he put on a hat. <laughs> no, the one I was in, it was called CPC. CPC. It was a na na nationwide network of mental hospitals. I was in CPC Westwood for a 10-day hold. Yes, I was a client, just like the hair club for men. I was a client and a counselor. Yes. But, <laughs> but there's a song by Charlie Parker called Chilling at Camarillo. Ah. And that's Camarillo State Mental Hospital that's there when you drive down the 101 into Ventura. That's yeah. where the junkies used Camarillo. to detox back in the day. Camarillo State Mental Hospital. Really? Nice. Yeah. I, yeah. And the story goes that the great piano player um, uh, Bud Powell was in there also for maybe both. Maybe he was a duel is what the story goes. And he painted or drew a, a, you know, a piano on the wall, the keys on the wall, and he would just sit there playing <laughs> on the wall, the piano keys. Now that you say that, I remember us always talking about Camarillo back in, you know, back in the day. Like, oh, no, they ended up in Camarillo, you know. I think the, I think the cramps played there. Yeah, didn't they, they, didn't they, yeah. Did. Oh, that is the that's the the New Year's Day thing, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's funny, dude. <laughs> so that's the greatest. Let's ever. talk about treatment this episode because at Christmas time is when all hell breaks loose and people oh. end up. See, I always say, if you're cornered, treatment is your best option. Not necessarily yeah. because of drugs, but because of all the mess you make of your life, right? So, and you know, I was always against Malibu and I didn't like having clients in Malibu and I didn't go to Malibu. Boy, how times have changed, huh, Chuck? Ooh, yeah, we got to be careful what we swear by, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so once I, you know, Evan and Jared and I started Aloe, I started telling my clients, like friends, you know, acquaintances or whatever, like, don't send pictures to your parents or whatever of the rehab and i don't think they should come here and visit either like you know what i mean because because it, it's just ridiculous what rehab is like now isn't it chuck i mean even wavelengths it's ridiculous it's on the beach and fucking yeah beach people people get so pissed it's like why do you get to go on vacation while we're here 
cleaning up the mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so th at that point, I did, I did divide at wavelengths. So, wavelengths yeah. is cool when you go in there. It's almost like you know, it's very casual. Just I don't know. It's, you yeah, know, it's like just too one. nice. Rehab's become too nice. So, <laughs> for all the people that make asses of themselves this Christmas Eve and punch their uncle or whatever happens or OD. Uh, you know, during the the presents on Christmas morning, don't punch your uncle. Uh, no, they're they're going to. They can't help themselves. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, but tell them not that's a the time where you should say, <laughs> "I think I need help. I think I need treatment." Yeah, Chuck, is that not? yeah, yeah. When when your back's against the wall and there's shots fired. <laughs> I think I have a problem and I want help is a good response. And here's the advice to you addicts out there that are maybe relapsing or maybe using right now. You should go in in December because on January 1, your insurance deductible switches over. So yeah. <laughs> always these fucking junkies, they always want to go, oh, I'll go after the new year. Like, no, no, no. After the new year, it costs $20,000 out of pocket. Go now today, Christmas Day. Mike Mart, what is your sobriety date? It is Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> but but he did a self-detox. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I have no idea how that happened, to tell you the truth. That uh, you know shame I, and guilt. Shame and guilt. No, I it, it <laughs> actually what it was was it was like a last ditch effort to kind of have a place to live and just stay in good with my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. shame and right, guilt. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Are you okay. not familiar shame with these two? <laughs> and so financial. We probably necessity. every Christmas, we every Christmas we tell the story. Mike has his version of it. I was there. <laughs> what are you doing? I just come on in, bud. What are you doing? What oh, are you good. doing, good. little Let's man? Let's change the subject. Iris, look, Iris looks great. <laughs> Iris is, uh-oh, uh he's he's taking something off the bookshelf. What is that? Oh, oh yeah. So, uh, Mike Mart, I was there, Chuck. I remember he was an immoral, unethical person, Chuck. I'm not, I don't mind saying it. And he mm -hmm. had a, a girlfriend that just bent over backwards trying to accommodate him and whatever. And on Christmas Eve, and Geza X told her, just give up on him. He's no good. Yeah, I think I told her that. I think I told her that. I think that a lot of people told her that. <laughs> I wasn't there, but I would have. You know, <laughs> codependency is a He's never going to get it. But, but, but so on Christmas Eve, she gave Mike money to go get a tree and a present for her. Is that how the story goes, Mike? To get put gas in the car so we okay, can go to Sacramento to visit her mother. Oh, so I took the car. Was there a tree the, involved? Were you supposed to get a Christmas I tree? I think maybe. Uh, but <laughs> I took the money and I took the took car to go get gas and it just steered itself right downtown and bought a whole bunch of junk. <laughs> and he didn't come home. He didn't come home on Christmas no, Eve. No, what Chuck. Happened, Chuck. Oh. Chuck, on Christmas Eve, he just went to go get, he's going to go gas up the car and get a Christmas tree. And what I remember is buy her a present. <laughs> and and he happened? just never came back. I, I ran out of That's gas because I didn't get gas for the car. I ran out of gas coming back. So I had to, so I had to go. Pay Wait, did, did she think it was funny? Cents, <laughs> I put 88 cents in the cow. <laughs> no, no. 
so, an old black seventies yes. Cadillac, man. And it only, and I only had, I bummed 88 cents from somebody and I put 88 cents in the tank and I drove, finally got home and she was not happy. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. So that was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was right. also for me, Chuck, cause I lived around the corner. I lived on Rowena. No, not Rowena on, um, uh, what is that street? Yeah, we so were Mike, both right over in that we, area. We both lived, I lived walkable to Mike's house. And I was, I don't know, I was, I wouldn't say I was not as bad. I was as bad, but I was, I had somewhat of no, like, but I wouldn't do that to my girlfriend. at the time. At, oh, was the time, I sober at the time? You were sober at the time. You relapsed after I got sober. I have borrowed cars from girlfriends. I was just about to say that I hadn't done that. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the, no, here's the caveat. I never did that on Christmas Eve, Chuck. That is just wrong. Yeah, well, we should we should um, look down on Mike in judgment. Because <laughs> so I apologized uh, up and down, all this stuff. And I said, oh, it'll so be the last time, blah, blah, blah. And I was told. And it was the last time. How crazy is that? Lying to fucking stay in the house and to go up to Sacramento. And I said, look, I'll dry out up in Sacramento. Everything will be fine. I won't do it again. And guess what? I don't know. Reading the 24-hour book and something fucking light went on. And I just stopped. <laughs> Dude, I you know I love that because you hear in the room so much that if you're not here, you know they tell you all these reasons that it, it's not the right reason to be there. But my story is like yours. The only reason I ended up in detox is because I didn't want to go to jail again. You know, so it was like one of those things where it was like, uh, you know, I showed up over at my mom and dad's house with the police, and and I said I just want to go to detox. It was a lie, but I was trying to get into the house. I was trying to get the heat off. Yeah, and that was right. August, August 23rd of 97. And I've been sober since that day. So 24th is my sobriety date. I remember you could get somebody in the stand detox for like 400 bucks. And then it started taking insurance and you couldn't get people in there at all. Do, it was less than that. It was, it was like $19 a day because it was non-medical. Let me ask you, when you were beaten down like that, what, the, the Jones wasn't as bad for me that time because I kind of had just surrendered. You know what I mean? I was just like, fuck, I cannot do this anymore. I was 150 pounds. Bob had been over to my house. I had sores all over my, I had cut a hole in my leg where I thought something was growing and I put it in the refrigerator. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, out of my mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. right a few months prior to that, he got kicked out of Thelonious Monster for drug addiction. I mean, that's oh, yeah. pretty yeah. hard to do. Yeah, that's pretty hard to do. You out, except they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, so but i i started thinking about my my mindset when we wrote that intro years ago it was that people aren't getting properly assessed right, right? and people aren't interfacing with the addicts right that that you know in the case of mike everyone had had enough and and in the big book it says eventually all will flee from the alcoholic Oh, so yeah. he only had one person that was on her way to flee. She herself was questioning, why am I not fleeing? But everyone right. else had fleed. And so and he cornered. <laughs> they, they had fled. Fled. I'm sorry. Fled. I like that they fled. fled. They Everybody fled else fled. fled. So, so everyone had fled, fleed, and, <laughs> but not her. And I think that was good enough for Mike that if he could just one day at a time, just show her one more day, one more day, because Mike, let's be honest, you didn't run out and sign up to go to AA meetings three times a day. Did you? 
I did. Go, nope. I did. I went to the YMCA and I and I uh, went to that home group with Jimmy W. Saturday mornings and uh, Terry. But T. here, you know, Chuck, when I would relapse, they would make me go uh, to three meetings a day. I think you had to to get back into cry help. You had to do twenty meetings in four days or something, right? So you just sit <laughs> out in the Lano Club and get your card <laughs> signed, and. And Mike's really not going to meet. So to me, like, he's not going to make it. Mike Marty only goes to one meeting a week. He's not going to make it. I go to eight meetings a week. I'm high, but he is not going to make it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talk about misdiagnosis. <laughs> yeah. He was but I have been brainwashed time. that if you don't go to a meeting every day, you're going to use. And, right. and I believed that until I was eight years sober. You know, and that's yeah. one of the, that's a funny thing because when you like, I know people that that still go to meetings all the time, but they have a different like sort of life setup than I do. You know, I know I I go to one sometimes two a week, usually two. Uh, one's a um, just a, what, a Brady Bunch meeting with my sponsor, uh, a Zoom meeting, and one's the one on the beach. But if I miss one or the other or both, it doesn't freak me out, and it hasn't been weird like that. But I was told by the same people you had around. I mean, just these people going, you got to go every day. And then the 20 years sober, they're still going, my head's a bad neighborhood. And I can't go in there alone. And I'm going, what did they miss? I remember uh, somebody asked me to go to a basketball game, courtside seats. And I said, ah, shit, I got, I got, I was the secretary of this meeting at Tropical. And I had a dilemma over that for like, 24 hours like why i love basketball I, I should be able to go to basketball that's why i'm sober and blah blah and i think chris hoy just said listen go to the basketball game if you want or don't go to the basketball game and do your commitment but don't keep going back and forth trying to argue what's right what's wrong what's what's mm -hmm. gonna happen um and i said what do you think i should do and he goes i don't fucking know if I tell you go to the basketball game and you use again, I'm I'm be, right. be mad at me. So I stayed and did the meeting. I was so pissed. I was angry. I hated it. And I, that was a kind of a lesson for me. Like, listen, you know what AA provides for me is is it lightens the load, right? And so mm -hmm. from that, I was like a year and a half, two years sober, and I thought. How come I'm so angry? How come I hate everyone in this room? How come all these feelings are coming up? It's because I should have gone to the basketball game. I really believe yeah. that. I, that AA, as soon as I started doing AA in a way where I went because I liked going and I went because it lightened the load and I went because I could help people and I went because I could hear funny stories instead of I got to go because I, if I don't, I'm going to use. That was a huge transition into real sobriety, I think. Right. From fear-based sobriety and yes. future-focused sobriety. And that's and so it, important. It was, uh, it, it was based around basketball, as usual. I, just, I was late tonight because Elvis had a playoff game. They did lose 29 to 15, but he played great. But and, they got there to the playoffs. And, but also... Josh Klinghoffer and, and Chris Warren, the drummer of the Bicycle Thief, came and he was so happy that we were all three sitting there watching him play. And it was so great. And as soon as Josh walked in, Elvis got three rebounds in a row. Josh was like, God, he gets every rebound. I said, I told you. That's what he's good at, rebounding. Nice. So, so, but they lost 29 to 
15. It sounded it sounds closer than it was. It was really <laughs> <laughs> it was really one sided. Were... <laughs> but, but it's been it's been like four months of this shit. I can't, I'm kind of glad it came to an end tonight. <laughs> oh. And then oh, I'm talking oh. to the well, I mean, there, there would just be if they won tonight, then they'd have one more game for the, with the other playoff team or whatever. But but um but he, so then we're talking to the coach. Elvis got him a card and a Starbucks card or something. And then we're walking away, and the coach says, "Okay, so see you in January." And I was I was like, "Come again, come again, coach." And he goes, "No, the next next league starts January 7th. And I was like. No, no, no! Oh. This is over, isn't it? Like, I have to drive. I have to drive from Claremont. I don't know. I, I think I've told you that like nine times through the season. Like, <laughs> and so then I went and got the schedule. Oh my god! It goes January, February, March. So we only have like three weeks off or four weeks off of basketball. But Elvis loves it, so it's oh, fun. And, and it's um, worth it. Then you know it, it'll be over. And so before here's you know the it. thing. Why I bring it up is Elvis's basketball game is way more important than me going to an AA meeting tonight. I'm sorry, AA people. Yeah. You know he what I mean? He, dude, and the AA meeting came to the basketball game. So there you go. There you go. And that's that's one of the things that um, my my most recent sponsor uh, broke down to me and why I liked him. And that was the first among equals. Sometimes your kids are going to be the most, most important thing to that day. Sometimes it's your wife. Sometimes it's your work. Sometimes it's your personal time. Sometimes it's an AA meeting. Sometimes it's helping others. You know that they're all equally important that if you're not balanced, you get burned out and you have to pay attention to things. You have, I have to pay attention to all those things or I lose it. Yeah, exactly. You know, in the book, it does say that, that our AA work and our uh, activities are an advocation, you know, which is our second job. Our first job is being with our family and living life. You know? Right. And so, and I think that the original AA, I think rehab kind of corrupted AA for to a certain extent, because the AA I got introduced to in the eighties was very much influenced by rehab, right? The AA I do now is just like it's free of rehab because rehab doesn't want anything to do with AA anymore. You know? Well, so yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. So, but they so will they, ask if the clients are going. They just don't want you to do it. But they ask yeah, it yeah. on every utilization review. But you know what I'm saying? That yes, it was so entrenched in the 80s when I first, like all the people that did interventions and worked in the rehabs seem like the leaders of AA. You know what I mean? Gloria Scott included. I mean, she worked at Cry Help for 30 years. I mean, and she was like my sponsor and she was like everything to me. But her version of AA was pretty rehab, you know, centric kind of a. Well, you yeah. You, when I first started going to rehabs, they before you could get a pass, you had to work like your third step and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. You know, for sure. it was required to be able to get it. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about anything when I went to Hazelden in the eighties. They had you do a fourth step there at a rehab center, <laughs> right? And they give you, know, you they give you time. You had to go in your room and like work on your fourth step. I didn't even know what it was. It was like homework. It was like fucking homework. Right. So, so anyways, the idea is there's a lot of addiction going on and the holidays are always when shit hits the fan. And I always say, go immediately. Don't postpone till next year. Like, cause I, you know, I postponed till next year time and time again. I didn't, my sobriety dates, March 16th. I was shooting for January one, Chuck. 
I was shooting for January <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. All through the holidays, people were going, "Hey, you know, I'll pay for you to go to cry help." Like, no, no, no. I, I, I just, I have to see my son on Christmas or whatever. And so I postponed it. And then I went on a real run. I don't know how that happened. Like in January, I was really going to go back to cry help in the beginning of January. Somehow it slipped away. I got arrested. I ended up in jail. And then I got out on March 15th. But, you know, Christmas is like, you know, it's also a time when people party a lot. I mean, it's not just for despondent people who, you know, uh, I don't know that people are partying anymore. I, I really don't. Oh, I, I see that you get some money. I see, some them. Dope, I see some... them at the lick. I see them at the supermarket. They're not. They're taking it serious. There's, there's not know. a lot of no. They've people, upped their game. There's people like that because I drop the kids off at school. So I drop the kids off at school at eight thirty in the morning, and then I go grocery shopping. So I'm I'm. I'm grocery shopping at 8.45 or 9 a.m. Let's have this conversation in a few years when Elvis is like 18 or 19. But, but well, that's, yeah, that's different. But I'm, I'm talking about alcoholics and drug addicts. Like, nobody seems like they're having fun or partying. There's not a, there's not a party crowd that I'm, I'm not addressing. I'm not, I'm not addressing that crowd. The youth, youth rite of passage crowd. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I go to the grocery store. 8 30 in the morning there's a guy in front of me buying a 12 pack of 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 beer bottles right and i'm thinking is that for later on today <laughs> is he just stocking is he stocking the fridge for after work no and you see this have you guys been to the supermarket people are buying booze like crazy all through covid they have no yeah. shame about it like little old ladies with four wine bottles in that little a cardboard carrier, <laughs> like they're yeah, losing well, it up, and I, it doesn't look like a party to me. A lot of what I'm seeing around me, and the fentanyl thing—I mean, it's just crazy. It's fucking crazy. I was standing in line at the at the Vons, and the guy in front of me was in a wheelchair, and he bought booze and everything like that. And I wasn't really paying attention, but uh, so I didn't notice he was buying booze. I had my stuff and. And then uh, he goes, hey, could you zip up the pouch on the back? Because that's where he had his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not to put a damper on the holiday show, but uh, I cried this afternoon because yeah. I saw a horrible, hideous, monstrous, terrible thing that happened in your hometown there, Mike. I don't know if you heard about it. No. A little one-year-old girl that was murdered by her own father. Oh my god! Oh, kind of fucking world are we living in? Kind of. How could anyone contemplate that? It's just beyond. Unfortunately, that shit happens all the fucking time, man. It's crazy. People are just nuts, and they always have been. Some there's more people. There's more coverage, so we hear about a lot more. But I, I do think that we've upped the stakes. Just like with, I think, you know, the social drinking has gotten more and more out of hand and because we see more normal people show not, not people that had had yeah, things yeah, in control would, for a long yeah, time. Yeah, for a long period and then, of time. And then it's just in the last couple of years, it's it's all upside down. And, and you know, I, I get it, man. The world is, it's, fuck, it's flipped well, upside down. I think COVID, down. what I'm trying to point out is I think COVID did something where people aren't ashamed of buying four bottles of wine at nine in the morning. No, because who knows? There was <laughs> virus could knock us all out. So I'm going to live no, my truth. There's just something, and maybe it's Trump. Maybe it's like this whole crazy world we're living in, but there just doesn't seem to be any 
decorum. Like, you know, like I remember like being embarrassed of buying booze in the morning. Like you're supposed to be embarrassed by that. Like there's no embarrassment in the people in front of me at line. They like have no, they're not trying to hide it. You know, I used to say, um, well, you know, I'm, I'm stocking up for tonight or whatever. If somebody was looking at me weird, right? <laughs> you, got, you should have some sort of guilt or like weirdness about buying a 12 pack of beer at 8.30 or 9 in the morning at Vons. And people do it every time I'm there. There's people just only buying booze. And for some reason, here's the thing. Because you would think you would go to the self-checkout, but you can't. You have to show your ID. You have to go to mm -hmm. an in-person teller. So that's why they're always ahead of the grocery people. Cause I'm, I'm putting up the watermelon and the, you know, all the kids foods and whatever. And there's just somebody ahead of me and they got like a, a half gallon of vodka, and like a six pack of lemon lime soda. You'd be a little ashamed of that at nine in the morning, but they're not. So if people, if people in your life need help, they should go right away. Go at Christmas. Mike Mark got sober on Christmas. Christmas could be your day. Christmas Eve could be your day. New Year's Eve could be your day. Um, go and get get the right treatment. I don't know what the right treatment. Uh, you can get the wrong treatment, right, Chuck? Absolutely. I don't know if there's a right. You can definitely, there's a lot of wrong treatment going on. Let's put right. it that way. So go to a tried and choose, you know, kind of place. You know, you know, whether whether Wavelengths is in Huntington Beach or Alice in Malibu, the fact is I've been doing this for 27 years. Warren's been doing it for 35 years. Like, it's not like some fly-by-night website that was invented by some crypto bros. You know what I mean? These are real rehabs. <laughs> I, I, no, I can picture no, the crypto bro right now. I know. Can you, can you imagine a crypto yeah, bro I can. rehab? <laughs> I, I can. They, there were a bunch. They were in it to get rich. There was. Uh, yeah. There, there was. But, you know, you can get the wrong treatment for sure because a lot of people are that we're seeing our primary mental health with secondary addiction. Because they're just so they're just so maladjusted. Yeah, but what are you supposed to do with those people? There's no mental places for them to go. Rehab's that's the a, best place for them. Yeah, dual diagnosis stuff, but make sure you know that's the thing is when people show up, they got to be honest when they're first talking to us. Like a lot of the questions on the the BPS and the uh, the Aces and stuff, I'll ask them a couple times because I say, you know, if this is a thing, man, we can, we can work through this while you're here. We yeah, do no, have to rehab needs to stop separating. There are no places for mentally ill people to go. So they're going to end up in rehab and we got to stop acting like we can't handle it. You, you can't, we can't, because I believe love is a major, major thing of this. Connection. Love, acceptance, exactly. connection. Right. So if you can, you know, I worked at PRC for years and, and that place was the dumping ground of schizophrenia from and Saska and whatever. And you can, by attachment, because I rarely met a just true psych. They always abuse drugs and alcohol, almost mm -hmm. always. And these, these fucking nutcases that work for the city of LA and act like there's they're, it's not a drug problem. Why don't you <laughs> talk to these people, you fucking idiots? Yeah, you know most, what I mean? Most are, most are doing the self-medication thing, well, self-medicating. And 
Well, because it works. Yeah. So if you're schizophrenic and you do and you do some math, you feel better and it quiets your voices. <laughs> no, it's true. It does. It does, it, it does the exact listen, opposite. I agree with you. Now the problem is now you got two problems. You had one problem, schizophrenia. Now you got two problems, meth and schizophrenia. <laughs> <laughs> you know what right. I mean? It's it. And you know, um, and then you get criminal activity. Now you got three problems. So now you got now you got three problems. So you got, mm -hmm. you got trouble with the police, you got trouble with drugs and trouble with mental health. And then the problem was they just rehabs said they didn't want to deal with the mentally ill. Salvation Army doesn't want to deal with the mentally ill. Who the fuck's going to go to the Salvation Army if they're not either mentally ill, drug addicted, <laughs> or both? Dude, they they you know wouldn't I mean? let Tristan in there because he had a scab on his arm. It wasn't even like an abscess. I, you weren't I allowed to have get, any wounds. If they just get <laughs> what you know, if they just prescribed meth to in these lower rehabs, it's cheap. If they prescribe, well, no, they, they do. do. It's Adderall. They do. Really. It's Adderall. Uh, what's the other one? Ritalin. Ritalin. Yeah, just yeah. tell them it's don't you know don't disguise it as that. Just no. I, I don't know if I ever told you. I became really good friends with this one client of mine um, that was a parolee guy, and uh, he had schizophrenia, and he had gone on a run, and he had come back, back and um, he was hearing voices. And when I saw him that morning, he came in, and he almost didn't recognize me. He could tell I was there and whatever, but then like. Four days, five days at Depakote, and he was all right. Um, and I was talking to him. We were riding in my car going somewhere. And I said, so when you're hearing voices, is it like, is it like some, your voice telling you like, hey, Bob, you're a fucking loser. You're a fucking loser. And um, it, like that voice that's inside you that tells you bad things about yourself. And he goes, no, no, I have that voice. Everybody has that voice. He goes, it's a voice. <laughs> He said it, and this was the best way to understand schizophrenia because he had great insight about it. He was like 50 years old, 45 years old. He said, it's like, I hear a voice saying, you know, stab that motherfucker. And I turn to see who's saying that to me and there's nobody there. That's hmm. fucking scary. Yeah, that's weird. Right? Mm -hmm. And he said, and... You know, the, the Depakote, I think, was the drug he was on, or Risperdal or something. Uh, Depakote, I think. Um, Depakote, is that the yeah. drug? So then yes. um, he said, you know, it makes you lethargic and it makes you tired and whatever. So he would always just go on these, you know, he knew that the Depakote would last like 72 hours. So he could go on a, um, a crack run for 72 hours and then... He knew at the end he was going to have all the voices and crazy, and then he would, you know, come back to the rehab. And and it was out of the side effects of of, of Depakote. Is it Depakote or Risperdal? I don't know which Dep one. Depakote is is a good one for for um, psychotic features. Okay, so. So, but do you understand there's so many negative side effects that he just didn't like being on it for more than like six months. So he would get six months and then he would go on these runs and then he'd come back. But the way he described it, like, no, I have that voice. It's telling me I'm a piece of shit like every junkie has. <laughs> um, but it's another voice that's saying, do these crazy things. And I know when I look and there's nobody there saying it, I know that I'm hallucinating or I'm having 
I'm here, I'm having voices because he was so sophisticated understanding it. And then that panics him because it's only going to get worse from there, right? Mm -hmm. Where he's not even going to recognize that it's not somebody there. And so we have to like stop looking at mental health as something that somebody else is going to fix, right? The people with it have to, you know, really try to figure it out, try to work with their doctors, work with the people in the treatment centers to try to figure out what will work. I do know that the doctors, the psychiatrists, do not listen to the patients when they describe the negative side effects of the drug. And mm. I've heard them say, well, what? You want to hear voices? You want to be psychotic and running naked through the down the street? Yes. You take your medicine. And and what I've learned is, yeah, once in a while I prefer that. <laughs> yeah, you know. Like <laughs> lately, lately it's more been like Cymbalta and Abilify and, and things. Uh, but you're right. There are, there are crazy side effects. And I've, I've met several schizophrenic people who miss the voices when they're not there because they've made, they've made friends of their demons, you know, in that, that aspect. Oh, so crazy. So, and so that's going to happen at Christmas too, because one of the things that, um, hard for people with severe mental illness is to go and act normal. I think they can act normal. You know, the couple of friends that I have that have schizophrenia, they, they can, they can kind of navigate sober living and joking around with people and going and eating and going to AA or whatever. But when it gets into deeply traumatic interpersonal relationships, you know, and the shame involved and, you know, the look in your aunt's face at you, it's been described to me, like it just triggers them. They can't handle it. So then they end up alone at, you know, at, at the sober living. And that's not the best place to on holidays. Like you're in sober living, you're not going to go see your family because you don't want to, or you, you don't, you're not confident enough to, and then you're alone and then they run off and go get drunk or whatever. So everybody try to hold together and try to care about each other just for two weeks. It's only for two weeks, Chuck. Yeah. Like you know, the, I know. The 20th, the 20th to the third, let's just try to be kinder to each other. Let's try to be honest and try to help and give a helping hand to people. But really rehab is the best place to be. I think when you're, fucked up on fentanyl and oh my God, hearing dude, voices the, and how many times how many times have you had to like talk a client down from them really wanting to leave to go home where it's just like yeah, listen yeah, man listen be, yeah. everybody is happy you're where you are no one's worried about you no one's waiting for a phone call no one's they're relaxing they're happy you are where you are you got to trust me on that because I, I, it seemed like it was when it would get cold, I'd end up in treatment. So I spent a lot of Christmases in treatment, and I'd rather be in treatment than in the loony bin. And the loony so bin, now, I was now I'm going to no tell fun. you that uh, some of the great Christmases I've had. Right. So uh, one Christmas I was homeless, and I remember I went to a lot of Christmas parties. Everybody was having Christmas parties. I went to some AA parties. Went to some mu musicians' houses. 
that was actually one of my better Christmases. I didn't, I w I wasn't welcome anywhere. So I kind of went a lot of places and like had so food. You, you weren't welcome anywhere. So you went everywhere. That's almost a line for a song. <laughs> no, it's true. I went, I went, I was high, but I went to Gloria's house because she always had Christmas Eve at her house. I went around to like, I literally was living in a, in a in my car and i went around to like six people's houses for christmas eve and christmas day it was pretty good right mm -hmm. and uh sat and listened to talk radio stuff like that and then uh one christmas eve i realized i hadn't been invited to my family's christmas for a couple years like i didn't i didn't go or i was mad or they didn't like me or i don't know what happened but then i I had this idea because I remember this would be 1991. Uh, Elijah would have been my oldest son would have been five years old. So, cause he's born in November. So uh, my, my family's uh, uh, Christmas thing is up. It, it was a place called Silver Lakes up in the upper desert. It was like a retirement community. And I thought, if I head up there, I just know how prideful and dishonest kind of some of my family were that they wouldn't, they wouldn't admit that I wasn't, they wouldn't say you can't be here, Bobby. I knew if I showed up, they wouldn't say that they would be weird for sure. There would be some <laughs> stunned eyes in the room when we walked in, but I had this, I had this whole junkie maneuver where I thought if I show up, because it's all my sisters and aunts and uncles and all these people, it's like, it's probably like 40 people. Right. So I figured if I show up with my son, they haven't gotten many presents. They're going to go and get a card somewhere and they're going to put money in it and they're going to give it to me. And that's what they did. Chuck $260. I got <laughs> so enough so, for you to go far away. <laughs> So I'm driving back <laughs> down that El Cajon pass. So happy. The whole plan worked, right? <laughs> I got, yeah. Elijah's going to sleep in the, in the passenger of the truck is my old Apache pickup. Remember that truck, Mike, that blue picket pickup I'm driving down and, uh, it, the gas gauge is broken on that fucking truck. I don't know if you remember. And it, I'm going down El Cajon pass and I start running out of gas, but luckily it was El Cajon pass. And I just started rolling along and rolling along. And I went to that Del Taco gas station that's right there in the middle of El Cajon Pass, pulled right in, flew right up to the thing. And I had that cash from the Christmas bounty. But, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I put 10 bucks, I put 10 bucks in that car. And then I went to, and Michael know this person, I went to Junkie Johnny's house. Remember that guy on Hollywood Boulevard? Yep. I went to his house. Me, Elijah, and Johnny hung out all Christmas Eve night into Christmas morning. We stayed there. Elijah slept on the couch, and I smoked crack and uh, did heroin. And you did call, and you didn't tell Colleen, did you? No, I didn't. But here's what happened. <laughs> I did save money, you know, because I didn't. It was 260 bucks. I got $10 of the gas. I got some Del Taco. That's another $4. I still got 250 bucks. So I spent probably 150 Christmas morning, go over to, uh, pay, pay, uh, what was that place on mine? South of sunset pick and save. I went to pick and save. Remember that place? <laughs> yeah. There hasn't been one of those for a long time. It was time. pick and save. And I let Elijah buy anything he wanted. Cause everything in there is like two ninety nine, four ninety nine. <laughs> yeah. 
And we walked out of there with two huge bags. It was only like 50 bucks. So I didn't feel bad about spending his Christmas money on drugs, Chuck, because he still got a ton of gifts. Oh, God. He still yeah. got a ton of gifts. What are you talking Ra- about? No, it's good rationalization. Yeah. Is that rationalization or is that just good common sense? That's just common sense. <laughs> no, that's rationalization by you in real time now. It was, it was his Yeah, I money. still believe it now. <laughs> I believe it was a great Christmas. We should have him on and see what he thinks of that Christmas. Un, un, unknowingly why. Because kids just like tons of shit. They don't know whether it costs $100 or $4 at five years old. They You're still convinced it was a perfect Christmas for him. <laughs> it was a perfect christmas for me i thought it was i love when a plan works it just works so great you just you know I mean? just hannibal well, I love let me tell you something together right now okay it was wrong <laughs> <laughs> but but, oh but people were happy everybody was happy i was happy johnny was happy um, oh my god and and uh and so so then another christmas i had was in cry help i was in cry help for christmas and i worked in the kitchen and we had to make the breakfast for the staff meeting and everyone was so miserable it was just like what we got to make breakfast for the clients and we got to make a special little thing for the uh, for staff meeting staff christmas party or something and mm-hmm. me and this guy Leighton was so miserable we were cooking the eggs and and so then he got this idea to pee in their coffee thing oh, so no it was a well i'll tell you the whole story so you know those 20 gallon coffee things they have at aa story. meetings right <laughs> yes he did he peed in it and then we were all laughing in the kitchen and like oh my god we're gonna like all that staff's gonna drink pee coffee and then um and then he you know, he went and did something else and I poured it out and I started a new, I washed it out. So nice. But, but all the other, you know, other than me and the other kid that was in the kitchen back part of the kitchen with me, all the, all the people that all the clients that were working in the kitchen thought there was peeing it. And they were watching it the whole time laughing as the staff were drinking coffee. (laughs) And I, but I, I saved the day on that. I saved the day on that. That was, that was right. (laughs) <laughs> that's the right yes. thing to do that was the right <laughs> thing to do <laughs> really i don't know why when you're in rehab in those behavior mod places there's just a peer-driven mentality that can go really nuts chuck pretty fast right there's a there's a convict mob mentality of us against them yeah, yeah. And for some reason, it just struck us like, what do you care? You got to work in the kitchen for five hours in the morning. What do you care who you're cooking for? It doesn't fucking yeah. matter. Yeah. But somehow it just got us all so pissed. Like, what? I remember when the guy that was in charge of the kitchen told us, like, what? We were like, what? We're not cooking for the staff. What? <laughs> what? And we're all there for free, living for free, drug treatment mm-hmm. for free, food for free you know, turn our lives around for free, but it was just a bridge too far for some of us. (laughs) (laughs) So a-holes in treatment aren't new. No, no, no. We're, (laughs) you know, there was another, that was a nine month stint I did in there or seven months that, uh, we were, you know, the van goes places and we got lost. This is before GPS. 
And we got, we were going to a Pacoima NA meeting or something. And we're all in this van. These YA kids are in it. And the, and the pro staff, it was called, guy, you have to call in. I think we went to the AA meeting and it didn't exist. It was canceled or it didn't exist there anymore because they used to just make us go to these horrible NA meetings, you know, way far away. I don't know why. Because it um, gets you out for a long time. Yeah. So the, the pro staff guy, meaning third level uh, client who's driving the van, gets out a payphone to call. And one of the YA kids jumps from the back of the van and gets in and just drove away. And I'm in the van with like <laughs> three YA kids. For those of you at home that aren't sophisticated enough, YA is youth authority. These are kids <laughs> that just came out of, uh, uh, you know, instead of going to prison, young people they go to juvenile YA, hall. Juvenile hall. But Until fire, age 21 fire, sometimes. Yeah, fire camps or whatever. Yeah. So they just haven't been in the real world. Yeah. And they're... There's like four of them in the kid Eddie driving. And then there's like four of us regular, you know, people. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know, where are you going to? And, and like, we're all going to get in trouble. And so he just drove around for like a half hour. And then we went back and the guy was standing in the gas station and, you know, we're all going to get in trouble and we got to go immediately back to Kyle. And they put us on silence all night. All night we had to sit in a group in the group room in chairs in a circle uh, on silent. <laughs> can you talk. imagine doing that to the people in your place? I can imagine <laughs> if we did that to the people in my place, I think we'd get sued. I think I'm we'd sure be shut down. Sued. I think you'd be, be shut shut down by the I state. think the state would shut us down. And the I think like a I think like at two in the morning, they came in and said, we'd go to our rooms and then we had to be back there at 6 a.m. before breakfast. We sat in that room for like a day and a half on silence until they decided what they were going to do with us. There was rumor they were going to kick us all out and then we could go to 20 meetings and whatever. They ended up, um, I forget, they defazed us all back to zero. Like I was on phase two workout. They defaze. Imagine rehabs that had phases, Chuck. Yeah, Imagine I, I remember. That. I remember. So, Mike, for you, you've never been in one. So, you had no rights when you came in for 30 days. Mm -hmm. At the 30 day point, if you did, and it, cry help, you have to write the rules out. The rules are like, you know, 15 pages. You have to handwrite them out. Did they make you cut your hair? No, this is after they, they stopped doing that. But but so you had to write the rules out in handwritten. And when your hands were shaky as mine, like it took me for fucking ever to write the rules. And so, and you hand them in and then you get phase one, which gives you the only thing you get to do is use the payphone after dinner. But you like <laughs> your whole focus. It wasn't that bad at focus. the rock center, but it was pretty tight. <laughs> right. And yeah. then phase two and then phase two workout. That was the best where you got to go to work. And then phase three was you worked there. You volunteered there. I got to phase three and I was the counselor's assistant. And I got to leave the facility of my own free will by myself. Wasn't there a big like chain link fence in the back? Like a yeah, 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 yeah. Like a prison yard. Yeah. Oh, it was for <laughs> sure like a prison yard. It looks like a prison yard. 
fucking A, man. You've been there? You've been to Cry Help, yeah. I went and talked to Smog through the fits one time. <laughs> did you throw a tennis ball full of dope through? Or over? <laughs> oh, I, I did hand him some balloons, though. So, so anyways, it, it was just, so that was a great Christmas. I learned a lesson. I did the right thing when no one else was watching. When I poured that coffee out and I cleaned it all out and I put red grounds back in, I started all up and I didn't tell the staff. I, I didn't tell the staff what those guys did. And I didn't tell those guys what I did. I just let them believe. I, I can't that believe was... that no one spilled the beans. You know, oh, that's, that's the staff. Well, no, yeah, there was that, a guy that, named there was a guy named Donald Theodore there. He told me he never eats the stuff the staff make uh, that the, the clients make. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say good? good thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably smart about that one. See, um, you, <laughs> <laughs> those are inmates, not clients. <laughs> no, but that was the mentality that us against them. So those are. And now my first sober Christmas in Christmas of 1996, probably the best Christmas I ever had. Elijah was living with me. Me and Max and Keith Morris had Christmas in my house. Max bought me that Fender guitar that's sitting over there 27 years later. Um, and it was a magical, a magical time. That was the one downtown overlooking downtown. That was a no, that, that was that was on Vendome Street in Silver Lake off Sunset. That oh. apartment was $460 a month, utilities included, and I cheated the cable. You could just take the blocker out of the cable. And I went by there about five years ago, and it rents for $2,600. And I was like, <laughs> and they haven't fixed it up much. You know, I didn't get I didn't get to go in my apartment, but the building is still shitty. Like they painted it. But how mm -hmm. can an apartment go up $2,200 a month in, in whatever time that was in 17, 18 years? It was crazy. I was, and people were living in it like hipsters with the pants that go really close to their ankle. Like it used to be <laughs> gangbangers. It used to be like, like we wouldn't let Elijah play outside, but you could play in the hallways of the apartment building. There's other kids there that, they just all played in the hallways. Like you can, because mm -hmm. they're a long hallway. You just ride your big wheel down the hallway and stuff, but don't go outside. Because there were shootings in front of our house every night, right? <laughs> and now there's hipsters with, you know, the perfectly groomed beards and all that. Mm -hmm. And the top knots. <laughs> and they're yep. $2,600 for that apartment. That place uh, that you had that was downtown that overlooked the downtown. Yeah. The that was a good one. Step. I, I came that up was a great. helped you laugh and plaster that spare room. That spare, the front room. Yeah. Yeah, it was all made of, so old it was made of that laugh and plaster. So we had to plaster up all the cracks and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, that house was built in 1888. It was awesome. It was crazy. Dang. And that, uh, huh? Dang. That's old. That's old. Bunker LA. Hill. Bunker <laughs> Hill. But I, but so that, that first Christmas sober, one of the greatest Christmases ever. I cried. I was so happy. So I never was, understood why people got depressed at Christmas. While I was using, I never got depressed at Christmas. I would get, I would get depressed when I go be around my family. Just get a bottle of fucking mezcal and get some heroin and play guitar and listen to Leonard Cohen and be all alone. 
and shit. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I fucking that you know, my favorite. I, I think that, I, that sounds terrible, Mike. That was that my favorite so part, man. I swear to God, I didn't have to see anybody. I was like, everybody just go away. <laughs> Merry Christmas to me. <laughs> you know, that's, I think a, a lot of it, um, is some people start looking at their years. What did they do with their year? What did they accomplish? But if you're loaded enough, none of that matters. No shit. <laughs> so yeah, no, like, I was, I, I, yeah, that's what well, Mike just criticized me for having fun that Christmas where I conned my family out of $260. Oh, and that said, was a fun. I just said that was one of my best Christmas. Oh, and you're like, oh, no, it's not. That was wrong, Bob. That was wrong. <laughs> and then now five minutes, Chuck, five minutes later, he's talking about just like, give me some whiskey and some crack and I'm fine. I don't want <laughs> anybody. Well, I think he said mezcal and heroin. So yeah, that's very different. Combination, man. Some really good mezcal. I had this. I used to get this stuff from Mexico in this clay bottle with wax on the top of it. It came in a net. And every time anybody went down to Mexico and said, get me this kind of, I forget what kind it was, but it was in a black clay bottle. And it was beautiful, man. It was the best mezcal. <laughs> Why is it wrong what I did, but right because what you, you did? You had a child that you took his money and then you sat <laughs> in front of him, Bob. No, he was, he was, he was in another room. He was like watching the Santa. He was watching the Hollywood Christmas parade. I remember on that little black and white TV. Oh, <laughs> damn. That's, Bob, 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 get it straight. That's wrong. That was a great Christmas. <laughs> I think that was one of the first things Elijah talked about in treatment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, never been to treatment. How about that? Oh, oh yeah, boy. I know how to do it. Do you know what? You know how you keep your kid out of rehab? You want to know what I, I made a conscious decision and I think it worked and he's sober over a year, just had a year, a few weeks ago. Uh, I said, listen, if you need help, you have all these people to, to, to call. You don't have to call me or whatever, like Andrew Clark or, you know, Pete Weiss or Josh or whatever. You have so many people you can call to get help. And if you don't want to call me or whatever, but know that, the only rehab center you need to go to is cry help. I told him that I said, you're not going to Malibu rehab. You're not going to like fancy Betty Ford. You're not going to any of those because that's all for other people who don't have the foundation that you have. That's for every, that's for people every, that are better than you. <laughs> no, he, everyone I know. he knows is sober. He grew up in right. AA. You don't need to yeah. go fucking to Hazelden. You go to cry help. For, and I said only 30 days. You need 30 days and you need to go to sober living and you need to be around other sober people. He never even did that. He just got sober in AA. There is a, the old statistics from the 90s that said if, um, if one or both parents are addicts and get sober, the offspring, if they, uh, if they uh, develop addiction, have a 50% more likely to, to gain sobriety quickly if they're one or more, one or both parents are sober. Right. Huh. So, so I believe, and this is back to the, you know, find the right treatment for you. Um, 
I believe going to fancy rehabs for second generation sober parents is not the right way to go. AA is the way to go, right? You don't need to go to some, but a lot of times we don't, we just want them to get the help they want and, you know, and we want to stay out of it and kind of not be codependent or whatever. I just said, you ain't going to no fancy rehabs. Go to cry help. It'll help you. Cry help's an amazing rehab, right? It is, but it's no bullshit. You're not going to get your tummy rubbed. Are you? <laughs> no. Well, that's, I think that's half the reason I'd want to go back is for tummy rubs. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. I, I, I think knowing, Knowing what I know now, I could destroy a treatment program. I, I would, I would live the life of, of a king, because I know what they have to do to cater to some of these clients these days. And I'm so glad, like I, we recently had a spate you know, of, okay, of let's talk manipulators. About, let's talk about some of my compromises down through the ages. One was that I didn't think was that big a deal. Was if people want to have their dog, let them have their dog. If your dog gets along with other dogs and your dog gets along with clients and and is, isn't barking and nipping at people and causing a fucking nightmare, you can have your dog. That was the first compromise I made. Right? And mm -hmm. it's worked out. There's dogs at Aloe. I was I ran a group there last Thursday. There's dogs there. They lay down while we're doing group. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with dogs. No, I, I like one, having dogs at treatment. Second one was phones. So I said, you shouldn't be able to have your phone all day long because it'll just distract you. But after dinner and like whatever, who cares? Let them have their fucking phones. Oh, they'll buy drugs. They're going to buy drugs anyways. That's what I argued with the staff. They're gonna, you think they need a phone to buy drugs? Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. No, but, I, but the fight over phones, I just said, I just said, you, you don't need a phone during the day. You got five groups a day. You don't need a phone during the day. So we'll hold the phones and you get your phone back at four o'clock or whatever, at five o'clock or whatever. That was the second compromise. It didn't, it didn't, everybody didn't run off and get high. Like all the hard nosed people say, and I was one of those hard nosed people like dogs and you need to fucking not worry about your fucking dog or your cat. Right. I still kind of am bothered by the cat. Somebody's got to watch my cat. But, um, but you know, we allowed dogs in treatment. It didn't cause any trouble. We allowed phones after, after group time, didn't cause any problems. Um, the, the, the thing that really crept in that nobody saw coming is all this medication. Like the, that, that, like that didn't used to exist in rehab. You didn't go to rehab for heroin and coke and come out on five medicines. You did not. Right. You did not. And now you regularly do. Well, the idea that sleep meds are normal. Seroquel. Or that everybody needs sleep meds. Just that, that still kind of weirds me out because I always tell them. What are you talking you, about sleep meds? Like Seroquel? Yeah, Seroquel, Seroquel Trazodone. Right. And I'll say, I'll say, you know what the problem is, is you're not doing enough during the day because you will sleep at night. In your body well, will come drink, back on. They drink monster drinks at like eight o'clock at night. All right. Like, of and course then, you're not. And then tell sleep. me they can't sleep and tell me that they're anxious. You don't get to have it both ways. That's one of the things where I say, you know what? It's really what you put in you that's going to make the difference. If you want to feel good, eat better food and stop doing that to yourself. But you know what it is? It's it's nicotine, um, caffeine, and sex that that keep them going. Um 
I like those three things. Is there something wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I you just said three of my favorite things, Chuck. What, what are you saying? Okay, but you have a willing partner, not a hostage. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> Someone you care about. You know, it's a it's an actual relationship. Wait, I'm trying to think. Like, those are the, that, you know, my kids, nicotine, caffeine. I would put caffeine second. Okay, my kids, caffeine, nicotine, sex. That's like it. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. <laughs> why why are now now chuck's coming down on me why are no, those wait. things bad wait no i said those are the things they over i got a double in. shot espresso right here oh <laughs> and he's chewing a whole pack of nicotine gum, I'm nicotine gum <laughs> and i'm planning on having some sex in a little while <laughs> what the hell uh, are you saying i should do that too Oh that sounds. That sounds it's, it's, you it's make a, my favorite thing sound so wrong. And my great <laughs> Christmas, my great Christmas, where where Elijah got a bunch of presents and I got to get high. Mike shit shot that down. Like bunch this of, is awful. This show. Well, you know what? You, you <laughs> fucking. All, all I can figure is that you must have been feeling good about yourself. And you needed to be shot down a little bit. That's why. That's why <laughs> yeah. we had to do this tonight. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you must have been. You must have been just walking around a little bit too happy. <laughs> well, let's wish everybody a merry Christmas and have a. You know what I mean? Like, I think dealing with family is probably the most difficult. It's thing the hardest. Part. The alcoholic or drug addict staying sober to do. Because none of them understand you. None of them know what you're going through. They're all, you know, they, hey, are you sure you don't want a beer? Greatest advice I ever got about the holidays was in and out, you know, beginning, middle, and end. You, you know, what time is dinner? Okay, dinner's at five. I'll be there at four. I have to leave at se seven. You know, like get in and out of there. Don't sit there and meander. The longer you, me longer, the longer you meander, the worse it gets. If it's a really tough situation, don't fucking go. Tell them you can't make it. Sorry, I'm staying sober and I can't make it. That's what you do. Yeah. You play the fucking shit down and you just tell them the truth. So yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be hanging out with my sober friends. I'm going to catch up with you next year, friends. Oh, that reminds me. Of, uh, I don't know that you guys are being idealized about this. I was. My mom called me one time. This is not a holiday thing. My mom calls me. I go, and I'm talking to her for like 15 minutes. I go, Nancy, I got to go. I got to go. She goes, where are you going? It's, it's like, isn't it like eight o'clock at night there? And I was like, I'm going to AME. And she goes, oh, Bobby, you're just hiding in those AME. Um, <laughs> and because I was, because I wasn't at her disposal to listen to more of her problems with her friends or whatever. And it was like 10 to eight. Family does not understand what you're going through. Yeah, yeah. And so and so I don't know that saying I'm gonna stay with my sober friends would have worked with me. I was just like, I, I don't know. I don't know how you get out of the, out of it. I always went, but I went for hour or two. Since I've been sober, I've always, you know, kind of gone for an hour or two, put in my whatever, what I'm supposed to do. Right. That's how I still deal with with extended family. Uh, it's like at two hours, that's enough. Let's go just because it, it's enough. 
it's just not as comfortable as hanging out with the people we choose. You know, the way I figure it is that they're the one that made me drink anyways, man. I drank over family shit all the time. <laughs> they're fucking fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that's, they're the we, ones I that think that's the me point wrong. to end on. Is, <laughs> it's your no, family's fault well, if you have a problem. Okay, let's end on <laughs> They're this. the ones that drank booze every I, night. I blame my addiction on pop culture. Mike blames it on his family. <laughs> what do you blame your addiction on, Chuck? Oh, oh, punk rock. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Pop culture. Lou Absolutely. Reed in particular. Here's here's the guys. Here's the guys responsible for my addiction. Keith Richards, Lou Reed, Bob Dylan, John Lennon, uh, Johnny Rotten, Sid oh, Vicious, Johnny really? Rotten, Sid Fuck Vicious, me. Johnny Paul Thunders. Paul Westerberg gets some blame there. Paul <laughs> Westerberg, uh, Joe Strummer. Mm. Uh, Jack Kerouac moving away from music now I would say Jack Kerouac is one of the reasons why I became alcoholic William Burroughs Patty, Patty Smith has a little bit of responsibility all these people owe me a man's Chuck all of them mm -hmm. they're all responsible for what happened all, to all me. of them that are still alive I want I want it in triplicate <laughs> in my mailbox they, they are all Lenny Bruce Lenny the estate of Lenny Bruce uh, Kitty Bruce owes me an amends. Her dad was responsible for my addiction. Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor is partially responsible. John Belushi. We've heard enough. I want to ask Chuck about, I really don't even know anything about your parents or your upbringing, your dad or your mother, Chuck. I know nothing about that. Oh, it's because it was, it was very, um, very Huntington Beach, Huntington no, Beach, or Westminster, Fountain Valley, very Fountain Valley, Fountain Valley, very, very middle class. You know, smaller homes. Did they drink? How can I know more about your your childhood than Mike Mart? Did they drink? He, Chuck never he, talks he, about it. Well, you know, about it. I, I I spend time with my folks, but but not a lot of time for that very reason. But the strangest, I was over there the other day, and uh, my dad said. We were talking about something, and he goes, "You know, there are a lot of things I did with you as a parent that I regret. Things oh, that probably wow. caused you more pain and made wow. things worse. And I didn't even know what to do with it. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things where it's just like I don't even know where to put that. But it was like because he's not that kind of guy. He's very stoic. You know, uh, wow. gun gun collector, man's man." Um, you know, just huh. just very, you know, he's one of those guys that if his hair grows over his ears, ears, he's starting to look like a girl and he's going to go get a cut. We did not get <laughs> along. The first time I wore nail polish, the first time I dyed my hair, when I pierced my ear, I'd spent more, my, more time going out of my bedroom window to escape being grounded. You know, they, did you they, go to Fountain Valley High School? Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Today is their 60th wedding anniversary. Oh my God. And I, I heard only 1% of couples make it to 60 years. Oh, yeah. You got to get and Chuck, you had a early. moment with him, and he was kind of making amends and stuff. You know, uh, I don't oh, know. And, and I said, I said, I uh, think it was. I said, I, I, I appreciate I think that's as close to a, a, as a real amends. I think it was heartfelt. I think he also realizes his mortality. He's 80, 81. And, yeah. uh, and so it's just like he's looking around and just going, you know, taking stock. Leave and it all on the floor. Has he ever said, all on Chuck, I love you? Uh, we, he doesn't say that sort of thing. My mom does. Uh, he, he'll write it like in a card. 
you know, yeah, like it is birthdays or something. A card, yeah. Love you, love you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so it's just like, just not just we we never said that in the house growing up. It took till I was like five years sober for us to be even communicative, because I mean, you know, it's just like uh, when you're 15 and your dad says, you know, it's time for you to go. It, it makes for a different kind of relationship. Wow. What um? So the guy That's that jumped trip. off the Disney parking lot, he was from Fountain Valley. Did you know him? No, he was from Villa Park. He he knew my wife's family, and so uh, he was and so he was he listening he, at home. There was a guy that jumped off of the parking structure and killed himself, and left a big long note on Facebook, and then he jumped off. So your wife knows him, Chuck? Yeah. What a he, bummer, man. He was her her older brother's. Uh, friend they were close and then not only that he was a um a principal yeah in the fountain valley school district for 21 so years we'd see we'd see him at like school events when bug would go to school things and uh amy came in with that tonight and said you know it turns out his brother did that too and uh and i said well you know there's the genetic component and there's also the world learning we live in yeah. is rough for everybody but the biggest lesson that amy learned is the shit talking that happens because there's thousands of people talking about this because the guy went out of his way to make it so fucking public. I know. So there's thousands of people that have their theories, their thoughts, what they know happened, what they know is being covered up, what, uh, you know, all this shit. And it's just like, that's what it would be like to be a celebrity. And that would be fucking rotten. Well, no, but what I think is he, he didn't, the in the suicide note, which by the way is three Facebook pages, he had to. It's she is such a long suicide note, uh, and the the thing that he says that's so disturbing. Why wouldn't you say that to your best friend? Why wouldn't you say it to somebody? Why do you put it on Facebook? That was the weird thing to me. Like mm -hmm. you know, and why did like I just I wouldn't know if I was his friend. I would think it's nothing, dude. You'll figure it out. Like whatever. He got I think 21 that was years of his co-workers, the people that he works with, the people that think he did something wrong. Yeah, but that means he was kind of being not that genuine as a person. Like everybody makes mistakes. Like I, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like, yeah, yeah, now that I know the brother killed himself, that happens. People get signals from their siblings, like, yeah, you can do this. This is this is possible. You, you know, you should think about this. That's 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 what the virgin suicides. There, it tends to be at its elementary school or middle school. If there's a suicide, there tends to be like two more because there's copycats and it influences the thinking. If your brother killed himself and you're jacked up in something that you could lose your job over, yeah, you would think about suicide because your brother did it. Why wouldn't you yeah, think about it? It's yeah, so fucked it, up. It, it is. It, <clears throat> you know, every once in a while, these things you, you hear about so much, but that's the part that freaked me out and i haven't I haven't talked to amy or her family about a lot of the opinions about it because people are trying to figure it out and if we could understand why people suicide or why they complete suicide we'd be one of them you know so i can't understand that way of thinking because i'm not a suicidal person no but people like us who know suicide like as soon as you said that i was like oh there's why he did it so anybody who knows about suicide would know this hey 
This guy just got arrested. This guy has been put on leave of absence as a school principal. His whole identity is attached to being a school principal. He That's in jeopardy now that he supposedly pushed his wife. Um, he has court Monday morning. Um, and his brother killed himself. Like, this would be all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah, no, that should have been that should have been someone with him. Uh, you know, just, to, just you know, I don't know if it was someone, if it was one of you guys, or if it was one of my friends over here that that I cared about. I would. That's when you pull people in. Yeah, you know, you pull people in close to you because they they can walk through it, but they can't do it alone. And it, sometimes it, 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 it's just like, you should have just got a whole bunch of heroin and a bottle of mezcal and some fun. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I've been happy to be fucking stoned. And- well, one thing that would make that right, why it struck a chord with the public, and Mike is right, it's all over Southern California. People talk to me about it. Like nobody talks about a single suicide. That he did it at Disneyland is crazy. Yeah. Well, that just I guess his dad goes with the Facebook post. Yeah, it's like a narcissistic thing. And I just thought, like, dude, you know who's at Disneyland? Little kids are at Disneyland. Go to the beach. Go to the beach. Go to the mountains. Go to the desert. You got to go to fucking Disneyland and kill yourself? That's a little much, Chuck. It's a little much. Oh, dude, I hear that. I mean, it's just like there there could be no other reason other than wanting it to be talked about. Oh, Oh, I found out a really cool thing about Disneyland, though. Okay. You know what? There's all these secrets of Disneyland. I don't, I'm not going to say where I, I'm researching it for a TV shows, right? So one of the main problems, one of the problems they're having at Disneyland, this is good. This might be the first time in public this is ever said. Are you guys ready? Whoa. Yeah. They're having a problem and they have been having it for years at the Haunted Mansion that people spread their family members' ashes on the Haunted Mansion ride. Really? Oh, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. Is that the freakiest shit you've ever heard? Yeah, I'm gonna take some of my dad there and sprinkle him around. <laughs> oh, God. I still got him in the trunk of my car. There, there would be no, there'd be no resting in peace. If I kill myself, I'm not gonna do it at Disneyland. If I if whoever ends up with my ashes, please don't spread them at the haunted mansion. That's Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) And if you're and if you need help, go to just go reach out to some people. Yeah, go to rehab before the new year because it gets more expensive on January 1st. It gets more expensive. Yeah, tell your family to fuck off. They're the ones that you're drinking over anyway. So just go fucking dang it. Well, out of the frying pan into the fire. Good night, fellas. It's Lou Reed's fault. It's Lou Reed's fault. No, it's Chuck Berry's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Bye bye, you guys. Bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.